0: Okie doke. So what I want to talk about now is is uh, PT PT and um, probably won't quite finish it with it today, but I wanna want to get quite a lot of material done. So B- broadly speaking, broadly speaking, we could say there are two approaches or two avenues by which a practitioner uh, works, plays, so that eventually PT arises. Um, but these two are not, uh, they're not so black and white. The distinction between them is not so black and white, and neither are they mutually exclusive, like I'm only doing this or only doing that. But a person usually has predominantly one way or predominantly another. So one is working with the energy body, and, and finding um, and encouraging any sense of well-being in the energy-body space. And as I said, coaxing it, tending to it. Um, if, w- the analogy if it's an ember and I'm trying to get a campfire going, what do I need to do to get this ember? What do I need to put around it? Do I need to blow on it? Do I need to shelter it from the wind? Whatever it is. Do what do I need to do to get this ember to turn into a fire, a campfire? So in a way what we're starting with is the energy body experience and any which way I can get that experience and and massage it support it shape it encourage it uh, ignite it to move towards more and more pleasantness until there's until there's PT basically The second way is to choose something choose an object and just concentrate repeatedly on that object and If the concentration gets more steady and the energy accumulates there, etc., then at some point, PT PT evolves in the experience, in the energy body. So broadly speaking, there's two ways. What is PT? I think we already said something about that, so I define it, I'll repeat anyway, PT is, I define it as a pleasant feeling that's felt physically, but that's but whose origins is non sensual okay that's just how I define it and so, for a meditator, this can come up in all kinds of ways there's all kinds of flavors and manifestations of p t so um we talked about uh, the whole body can feel like it's tingling, or parts of the body can feel like tingling. It can feel like uh, a kind or of o- it can actually feel like an. Or- some people say, "Oh, it feels just like an orgasm." It can feel like an orgasm. It can feel like um, something much more subtle, like a kind of pleasant warmth or a pleasant lightness, as if one's almost floating. It can feel like waves of sort of pleasant uh, or bliss, or rapture, or ecstasy. Uh, uh, you know, going through the body, um, there's, there's many, many manifestations it, it can have. Um, one of the interesting things about how PT manifests is that it evolves over time and it evolves in a couple of ways. One way is and I might have already mentioned this, is that as you get into, let's say the third jhana, then the, th- the experience of the, th- the repeated experience of the third jhana affects the way PT comes up for you from then on. The third jhana is very peaceful, very tra- incredibly beautifully serene and tranquil. And it's almost like that does something to the whole energy body or it does something to the whole chitta, or something. And thereafter, usually, a person's piti is much calmer than it might have been in the beginning. Kay? So there's a kind of retroactive effect that deeper jhanas can have on 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 the experience of the first jhana, which is characterized by PT. Does that make sense? Yeah. So that's one way. Um, What can also happen, and it's very individual, what can also happen is one's meditating. For instance, let's say one's doing this, I'm going with the concentration thing, and I'm concentrating on the upper lip, tip of my nose, and concentrating, concentrating, and then I notice at times, concentration seems to develop, and I notice at times these kind of um, it almost like a lightning bolt through through the body um, of, of I- extreme pleasure it just but it's gone. it's gone in two seconds or a second or something. or it might be like a wave of like is a wave of bliss or ecstasy or just a wave of pleasant feeling um, it kind of w- washing it over through the body, but again, it's gone in a couple of seconds, two or three seconds. This is, in a way, uh, it's r- it's good. It's PT. It's definitely PT. It's great. Things are happening. Wonderful. When that happens, open to it, enjoy it. If if you're still really working with the object, it's not. It, you're not ready to leave the main object then. So you still stay with. Again, if I follow my example, it's breath. You, you're still. This is in my background awareness. I'm certainly opening to it and enjoying it. But I'm not kind of then going, oh, let's let's focus on that. It's not ready yet. It's not steady enough. It's just a. It's just a passing thing yeah what we want and what might happen from the beginning or might happen uh, more with time what we want is a more steady PT something that's around for let's say at least two or three minutes without disappearing once it's got steady and once it's uh, and if you're sure this is definitely pleasant okay um, then then you're ready to work with it and I'll talk about in a couple I'll begin to talk. In this talk, how to work with it a bit more from adding on from yesterday. Um, so we need to wait till it's relatively steady, right? In, in temporarily steady, um, we want it to be steady, but actually, just to be really clear, we want PT and sukha. Okay, so I remember I don't know how many times, but certainly two or three or more over the years. Um, in interviews here. Someone has come in and uh, in the course of whatever we were talking about over their retreat, reported that they were practicing usually in Asia somewhere or something and had experienced PT and had experienced sukha as a word I'll introduce, it means happiness from meditation, PT and sukha, or piti or sukha, and reported it to the in the interview and were asked if it was pleasant and they enjoyed it and they said yes. And then were actually shamed for having it. The teacher, what they told me, was actually quite severe. In in somehow they felt shamed, um, and they felt years later often quite hurt and quite traumatized by that interaction. Um, by that, and something in their practice and also their whole relationship with practice had gotten quite twisted because of that. Um, there was often uh, it might be quite surprising, often quite a lot of grief with that. Something that had touched the being quite deeply that they were open about was um, a, a lovely thing, uh, not just a difficult uh, dukkha that one's sharing. One's sharing a lovely thing, and it was dismissed, and um, they were ended up feeling uh, ashamed about it. So just to be really clear, we want PT, we want sukha. It's a good thing, right? How does it arise? How can we think of its arising? Um, so one way we can think of it is, if we take, say, the mode — I said, two broad approaches — if we're thinking about concentration — I'm just keeping the mind steady on, on the upper lip, the lower, lower uh, nostrils, etc — as the mind just keeps staying there, what's, what's not happening at that point is the mind is not squandering and dissipating energy through thought, through distraction. The mind is collecting its energy. Uh, so in electronics, there is something called a capacitor. I don't know if you know what that is. It is an it's a electronic thingy that um, basically it does exactly that. It gathers electric charge. So one way you can think about what PT is, is from the concentration point of view, is you are just not squandering energy. You are not dissipating it, as I said, and it, and it begins to gather. Uh, but it also, as I said, if, you, if it w- is not just nailing your mind to an object. You are also going to need the refinement, the subtlizing of the object if you are using the concentration approach. So PT won't arise just from kind of um, looking at something. It also needs this kind of the quality of attention and also the subtlety of the object and the attention in order for PT to arise if you are going by the concentration route. Piti can also arise just from gathering the energy, say in practices like qigong. You're actually gathering energy, and and the you know the chi and the piti are very close. They're very close. They're not. Are they separate? Are they different things? Are they not different things? I'd say it's on a spectrum. And as we gather the chi and begin to feel it more positively, we can call it piti. It becomes piti. Um, we also just said with insight ways of looking. There's a letting go, there's a release of clinging, and that cling in that, that fabricates less. There's less fabrication of the bodily perception. Samadhi, I'll, g- I'll come back to this, it's such an important point, I'm going to come back to this as the retreat goes on. What samadhi really is, or perhaps again the most fruitful, the most helpful way of conceiving of what samadhi is, is as we deepen in samadhi, when we are fabricating, there is less fabrication of perception, less fabrication of self. or There is less fabrication of dukkha, definitely. There is less fabrication of self. There is less fabrication of bodily perception. And there is less fabrication of any perception at all. And that is what the whole spectrum of the jhanas, you can understand it in one framework. And that is the most important way of understanding it. And that way of understanding it will unlock all kinds of other doors. In terms of the whole of the Dharma practice and liberation. So how, in so, how does PT arise? It arises also one other way is through insight ways of looking, let go of clinging. Therefore, fabricate less. Therefore, less fabrication of body and PT. F- perceiving the body as PT is is uh, a less fabricated perception of the body. Or we could say uh, another way is the energy body. We are working with the energy body to shape it, to fabricate it, so that there is pleasure and PT there. Or, as I said before, it is just an openness of being, an openness of heart, um, and that allows PT to flow. It is like PT wants to be there, it wants to come, and it is just the openness. Once it is there, then, then we have work and play to do, which is, I need to consolidate this. Stabilize it and absorb into it so that it can become the first jhana, if PT is what we're talking about, as opposed to happiness or something else that's central to other jhanas. When. It's interesting, when. And and, and none of this is, again, uh, there's always going to be exceptions, but it tends to be the case that if I'm using the concentration method, When the PT comes, it tends to erupt very suddenly and quite intensely. Concentrating, concentrating, okay, I can definitely feel like I'm in a deeper state of concentration, but when the PT comes, it kind of bursts through into the body experience, into consciousness. Um, Or one might even find oneself already in a jhana, everything everything's there, not just the PT. Um the other way, working as I said, this ember that we try to get like a fire working with the energy body, that ten- that tends to be, it's not always but tends to be that the PT builds more gradually. So there's a more gradual uh movement in into into, into the full PT experience. Some of you may ha- how many people have heard the fra- the, 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 the term access concentration? Yeah. Okay, quite a lot of you. I don't use that. I mean, the Buddha never used it. It's not a phrase the Buddha ever used. It comes, I think, from the Visuddhi which is a text we may or may not come back to, a commentarial text about 500 years after the Buddha. I don't tend to use it. The Buddha never used it. What does it mean? Well, it's kind of like you can feel sometimes if you're concentrating, let's say, on the breath, there's a kind of, at some point, there's a kind of quantum shift where you just feel like, oh, now the mind is really settled and really getting to, getting to settle on its object. Usually the breath is subtler at that point, for example. Usually things feel more harmonized, so you n- you're not in jhāni yet. There's, prob- there's probably no pt if you're in the concentration method, but it's just a kind of marking point of, yeah, okay, where we've settled a little bit. Um, you can use it if you like. I don't I don't tend to find it that helpful, really, but um, it's fine. Um, sometimes I think, well, actually I could. I could Really, sense it's more the case that each jhana has its own particular access concentration. Once you do a lot of jhana practice, but it really doesn't matter if it's helpful for you in terms of getting a sense of where you're at. Go for it. But I don't tend to. I don't tend to use it. Doesn't matter. I'm happy to talk about it with you though. Um, with the breath at one point, if that's the if it's that. Mi- Method, yeah, there can be these kind of quantum shifts at some at at different points. Um, So, for example, I think I mentioned it already. Let's say again, just follow my example: the breath at the nose, at the upper lip. Um, At some point, when as it starts to go well, that area starts to feel larger and start to feel like actually it's about the size of my whole head. Or about the size of my whole body, um, so this is a good development. This is a, g- uh, a good thing, and that that movement there is all is part of. It's on its way. It's uh, yeah, let's say part of or s- an element of of the whole movement towards whole body PT, or paralleling that, or something like that. Another analogy you could use uh, instead of the capacitor analogy is like a, you know when you hold a magnifying glass. Um and you catch the sun rays and, and you got it on some dry leaves or something, it's gonna make those leaves um, ignite, right? It's, it's gathering the energy of the mind. That's a way we can think of it. It's gathering the energy of the mind until it, it ignites in PT. Um, but as I said, it needs not just that, it needs part of the gathering, part of the energizing will be uh, the quality of the attention. More important than the quantity we 've talked about this now three times quality more important than quantity quantity is still important but secondary and quality you already said it includes lots of different factors so now Andy asked a question yesterday i want to see I, I, I think I lost the piece of paper, but i see, see if I answer it now in, in the in the, in the flow of what i 'm saying, and if not we can um, so I talked about subtlizing, like the the the, the sort of encouraging of, of making things subtle or allowing things to get subtle. When we are talking about concentration at one point, um, then the object, in this case the breath sensations at that one point, need to get or will get as part of the deepening concentration more and more subtle. And the attention needs to become correspondingly subtle. So if I can even encourage all that to become more and more subtle, that's great. I certainly need to encourage the attention to get more and more subtle. So, the object itself becomes more, more subtle and, I enc- and the attention becomes more subtle. I encourage that. If I am going by the other way, the sort of coaxing of the whole energy body experience gradually, then my experience of the different frequencies in the energy body will maybe include both subtle and gross frequencies. But we want to be open to all of that. I want to be sensitive to both subtle and gross um, experiences. but. The experience of the energy body as a whole on its way to the first jhana, unlike the experience of the um, of the breath, which gets at one point which gets more and more subtly experienced, the energy body doesn't get more subtle on, it on its way to the first jhana. You're actually building more, so it's less subtle. Do you understand? There might be lots of frequency at first, but I'm actually building more, so it's getting less subtle. So don't confuse this. They're kind of slightly different. However, as you, um, as you go through all the jhanas, there is, as I said, a spectrum of subtlety over eight jhanas. The third jhana is way more subtle than the first. The second jhana is actually more subtle than the first. The third jhana is more subtle than the second. The fourth is more subtle, etc. Th- it's, it's a spectrum of, of increasing subtlety. So as I said, the eighth jhana is sort of almost unspeakably subtle. Unspeakably refined. So there's different kinds of this word. Subtle applies in different ways. Does that answer your question, Andy? Yeah, good. So let's stay with this idea of subtle, Um, just for a moment. There's um, sometimes I remember very early in my practice in a very different tradition, hearing about the subtle breath, and I was like, "Oh, what's that? That sounds interesting." Um, And so partly what it means, and I uh, partly what it means is just this subtleized breath, this breath that has become subtle through the calming or that one encourages to become subtle. So the Anapanasati Sutta, the Sutta on the Mindfulness of Breathing, the first instruction is um, the practitioner breathes long and knows they're breathing long just as a turner, whatever a turner is. Does anyone know what a turner is? Okay, it's probably some kind of... Yeah, some kind of woodwork or weaving or something like that. Not weaving, <laughs> it's woodwork. Um, So they're turning something for some reason. (laughs) 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 Probably because someone is paying them to do that. (laughs) Um, And they're knowing. so. Oftentimes it's read passively, like I know I'm doing a long one, as opposed to, no, now I need to do a long one, therefore I will do a long one, and I know I'm doing a long one. To me, it's more active. I will deliberately breathe long. And then the second instruction is, I will deliberately breathe short. And the shorter breath is a calming. It's already a subtleizing with the shorter breath, generally speaking. So there's this natural movement towards the, the subtleizing of the breath, the calming of the breath, and the encouragement of, of that. However, there's another possible meaning of this phrase, subtle breath. and. I don't know if you've ever noticed this. Sometimes you can, this, this, the breath can feel quite gross, or it can feel stuck somewhere, like it's just, and you're sort of, kind of yanking it or heaving it to kind of smooth through a constriction in the throat or something. And again, if I don't get too, so sometimes that's helpful. Just okay, find a way of breathing that it's helpful, but, and and smooths it out, etc. Sometimes that's really helpful. But sometimes if I don't get too obsessed, and I am using that word obsessed in a very subtle way, because we can get very subtly obsessed in meditation, if I do not get too obsessed, then here is this breath that is actually a bit stuck somewhere, a bit rough, a bit gross, a bit uneven, and actually at the same time, somehow, it is almost like there is another breath, or another level of breath that is way more subtle, and is already smooth, very, very subtle. It's, it's almost like, but if I, d- I need to be not so obsessed and a bit more spacious, a bit more receptive, my antennae a bit more receptive and start to even notice it. So I can sometimes find that breath and I forget about the one that feels rough. It's almost like they're going on at the same time in, in some kind of weird way. As I concentrate on the, the subtler one, as I find it and attune to it, as we said yesterday, what happens when I attune to it? It amplifies it. <laughs> it gets amplified. That The other one just kind of fades. I'm not worried about it anymore. It amplifies the subtle breath in my consciousness. That becomes what I'm co- concentrating on. Again, sensitivity, receptivity, and the kind of opportunistic attunement. Oh, oh, there's something here that I hadn't realized. And then opportunistic, the door opens. I, f- I, I, I kind of let's just gently go with that, find that, go with that. Um, sometimes, oh this is akin to, this is another level of something I've already mentioned, which is in a way even more subtle, that applies probably much more usually when you've already experienced quite a lot of jhanas. Again, the mind won't settle down, the energy body doesn't feel right, it's just not quite happening. Um, but, again, if I don't get too sucked into that that problem, just, just spacious su- Kind of gentle attunement there 's a level of the mind let 's call it there 's a, l- a level a dimension of the being, better to say that 's actually uh, already peaceful, already imbued with a certain jarnic quality it's probably much more obvious once you know once you 're very familiar with that jarnic quality, and as it just won 't settle down in this sitting or today or whatever it is, but just a little spacious, opportunistic, my antennae are up, and then there 's oh there 's something akin to the beginnings of the piece, of the kind of piece that's characteristic of the third jhana. And I'm just going to dive there. And in diving there, I attune to it, and in attuning to it, it amplifies it, and the other stuff just kind of dissolves. It That becomes, that takes over my experience. So this business of finding the second kind of subtle breath is akin to, is akin to that. It's just the same thing at a different scale, perhaps. And then we also mentioned, just l- on subtlety, we also mentioned that if you're going to use the imaginal, poetic sense of the object, that that's really quite a subtle thing. It's really just a couple of drops of this magic essential oil or whatever it is that you're dropping in. Really quite subtle. Okay, so there's two emphases, like I said, broadly speaking, of concentration versus this kind of tending to, coaxing sensitivity to uh, the energy body and, and, and developing that. Um, whichever way, how do I say this? Yeah, at some point, whichever way you're, you've gone into your jhana or PT or happiness or whatever it is, um, sometimes the emphasis is more needed, more concentration, more focus needed, more effort needed. And for some people, that's often the case. More more effort, more concentration. For other people or at other times, or even once PT has arisen, then it's still a, and I'll go into this today and tomorrow. It's so like what do I need to do now that the PT has arisen? It might be more focus, more concentration. Maybe on the original object, but then on, on the PT itself. And that's what I'm doing. Other times, it's actually, as I said yesterday, don't underestimate the significance of this, or the importance, or how, how uh, crucial it can be. Other times, the emphasis and the intention needs to be more on more surrender, more opening, more abandoning. Um, so you can move emphasis, and you will. And I'll come back to this. It's not that you get locked into one emphasis, but what's needed right now, and then generally, as I said, as a as a as a practitioner, as a human being, over time, what what do I need? And sometimes I s- said it yesterday. Sometimes, the person, I just need more focus, more focus, more focus. It's not what you need. It's not. It's not what you need. You need a bit more of the other, or. Bit. Really, to, to experience that, to gently develop in opening, surrendering, abandoning. And through that, there's the deepening, the sort of progression, the consolidating of all that through this balance, this play. I don't know if you've noticed already um, on this retreat or other retreats, but if your intention is. Focus, concentration. If that's your emphasis, and if that's your conceptual framework of y- of what you're doing, if that's your view of what we're doing here, focusing, concentrating, that that very intention, or t- uh, emphasis of intention of focus and concentration, it has obviously a lot of good results, but it also has some negative results. So that when there is noise or dis some things, uh, birds or whoever it is, someone in the meditation hall, that with that intention and that emphasis, it's much more likely that the noise, there's aversion to the noise. Has anyone noticed this? No one? Uh, Okay. The intention, intentions set up the flavor of perceptions if that wasn't my intention the noise would not i would not have aversion at that point and the aversion scuppers the possibility of jhana it it, it it takes away the possibility of jhana so that's quite interesting it's not that one shouldn't practice that way it's just something to know if i'm practicing this way if i have or rather if more broadly speaking more broadly dharmic if i have this intention it will have these consequences on my perception it will likely have these consequences on whatever that intention is. Um, we could speak lots on that. But. So it's not that one shouldn't, but one should, be one should realize, oh, that's going to be part of my territory if I'm going for the concentration thing. I don't know. Is it a little less likely that there's aversion if one's going the other way with the whole body and the coaxing of the well-being? If that's the conceptual framework, if that's the intention, if that's the emphasis? Because then, really, as we played earlier today, then actually any approach is available. So, here is aversion, we can just put into the energy body some metta. Whereas if I go to metta, once I am focusing on the breath, I am actually doing a whole different practice. Um, Or I can relax the aversion with an insight way of looking, different insight ways of looking. And the whole thing becomes much more workable. And with the subsidence of aversion, there is the arising of happiness. With the subsidence of aversion, there is the arising of happiness. So it's not to say choose this one or that one, but it's to be wise to causes and conditions, and in- intentions are causes and conditions, and they have effects. All kinds of effects. Effects that we don't often anticipate or realize. Um, so focus and concentration really important. You know, another way of considering those Terms or what's happening uh, with samadhi is words like collectedness or integrity. Remember that trans. I think I said it yesterday. The, s- the meaning of samadhi originally in Sanskrit was, and uh, maybe it still had that meaning. I don't know. For uh, hundreds of years later, and it was s- more like agreement and harmony. So samadhi as integrity meaning. The elements of my being of my being, are in agreement, in harmony. There's an integrity to my being and a collectedness of energy, mind, and desire. A collectedness and integrity of energy, mind, and desire. Now when I put it like that, that to me uh, has a lot more implications for my life, and my work, and my personality, and how I am in relationship. Yes, ADHD is supposedly an epidemic in our culture and mobile phones and screen time and too many WhatsApps and Facebooks and all that, certainly. But most I know countless people who are perfectly capable of concentrating very, very well on their work, on a con- on in relationship with someone, in, in a creative project, etc. And they've never spent 10 seconds on a meditation cushion. They're not the first thing about it. But when we come, when we slightly conceive it differently, collectedness, integrity, these are of energy, mind, and desire. And think of these as more broadly as life, uh, as relevant to life, relevant to how I'm living my life, how I manifest, as how I manifest my personhood. So when there's that collectedness, integrity of mind, energy, desire, body, at that point, there's power. One has p- I don't mean power over, I mean power. The being has power, the person has power. And you can sense it in a person. And you can see over over their life, has, has is this person, has their soul power, the power that you sense in them, the power that they then also feel, or don't even recognize they don't feel, or whatever, is it growing, is it lessening? And talk, so it, it starts to these, these things start to be much more relevant than how how can I keep my concentration on something which for most people is not is not really beyond a certain point of basic sort of human ability to focus on something it's hardly relevant. But collectedness, integrity, power, soul power. These are important things. And then you start to relate that yeah that little bit of alcohol, it affects that. It's not that it's, a f- uh, yes, for the time it might affect my ability to concentrate. More significantly, it's affecting something about my personhood and my capacity to really cohere and show up with soul power, with the power and the integrity of my being. Body, mind, energy, desire. As a habit, showing up th- that it's coherent, that there's energy there that's collected, that has integrity. Or just... You know, people who listen to the radio is just on is just on or the TV's on, or a lot of TV, a lot of radio it's It's doing something to your soul. That's a lot more significant than how concentrated you can be in, in that sense. think of it in, in broader ways. Or again, I've talked about this wholeheartedness and how significant that is, again, for my life, for my personhood, for my relationships, for my work, for the service that I want to do. So when there's not this capacity and this practice at being really wholehearted, really gathered uh, like that, then one it's almost like dissipating energy, dissipating mind, dissipating, dissipating one's I don't know one's being habitually in in probably very small ways, um, and over time you can kind of get a sense something in the being has gotten a bit flaccid. So the very personality is different. You just there's just not. It's, it's something's flabby and and flaccid um, in the soul, in the being, and and sometimes you can sense that in people. There's, there's just not much sensitivity there. So from another perspective, focus, concentration. We think about them a little bit different. Actually, these are very, very significant. Um, if we think about them as collectedness, integrity, this sort of things are very, very significant for the being. Okay. Let's come back to the energy body uh, way of working, that second way of working. Um, what's quite g- common, uh, no, not quite common, extremely common, it will happen every day to some degree or other many times a day, is that something in the energy body does not feel comfortable. There's some constriction or block here or there, um, it feels like somewhere in the energy body. So this is a really, really normal part of normal experience of part of the human experience. It will do that. The energy body is not a static thing. It goes blocks, unblocks, constriction. Yes, we can have very habitual constrictions, but even if we don't, um, there is going to be a coming and going of constriction in the energy body, different places. So, w- in meditation, what what do we what do we do with that? Because the constriction, the blockage, is not going to feel good. It is the opposite of PT, if you like. So one way again is, don't forget, open up the awareness, stretch it over that whole body space, a little bit bigger than the anatomical body. What happens when there's constriction, or generally something we don't like, is the attention shrinks. Open it out again, and the very opening it out does something. There's a mutual dependence here. Constriction somewhere actually then shrinks the awareness. Opening up the awareness can sometimes open up the constriction. First thing, second thing to play with in meditation, if you're working with the energy body, is um, so if you're if you're working with the energy body and the breath, just imagine the breath energy going right through, flowing smoothly right through that constriction. Just imagine that, um, or or imagine a current of energy just flowing right through. So it could be with the breath, could be not with the breath. Use your imagination. It might want to flow through that. Let's say the constriction is in my throat. It might want to flow through the c- through the throat and up out the top of my head, or right down the top through the bottom of my body. Maybe it wants. To Does it want to flow up? Does it want to flow down? Feel what feels. Feel what feels like it's helpful. Again, you're just using the Im- the imagination to shape, to fabricate, to open the e- energy body experience. Let's again say I have a constriction in my throat. I can imagine the breath coming in and out, not not from the mouth and the nose, but coming in and out directly from the throat or the back of the throat, the back of the neck. And I just imagine that and does that. Or maybe it wants to go out the sides this way. And that imagination can unlock something. If you're practicing metta, let's say, and it have got this constriction in the throat, or wherever, or anywhere where there's a constriction. What if you play with imagining the very place where there's the constriction, imagine that as the center of the radiation of the metta. The metta is it's the last place you would think of, because it feels the worst, and the tightest, and the least like love. But just imagine, it's coming from there, and see what that does. Another possibility, I guess it's the fifth if we're if we're listing them. Um, let's say, for example, um, i feel um, I feel a constriction in, in my in my mid belly somewhere uh, now let's say let's say I feel a constriction around my heart, and um uh, but my lower belly feels actually quite nice or some, some well being there. Or the other way around, doesn't matter. There's there's a place where it feels good, relatively good, and there's a place where it doesn't feel good. One of the things you can do is just imagine those places as connected. There's some kind of energy tube or something that just connects the place I'm not I'm not moving anything around, I'm not yanking, I'm just connecting them in my imagination. The place that feels good and the place that doesn't feel so good. And just see what happens. I'm just connecting two places in my imagination very, very lightly. There's also the possibility of here's this constriction, here's this blockage, here's this discomfort, and bringing an insight way of looking that you are already familiar with, and um, looking at that very sense of constriction, that very sense of blockage, with that insight way of looking. Okay, in the context of samadhi practice, jhana practice, maybe that's unless the insight way of looking is your primary way of working, maybe that would be a kind of um, last resort, maybe. Um, but I don't know if that's that important. But but basically, again, those are extremely powerful practices, extremely powerful. And so to look at this blockage that way, through that lens or that way of looking, will. Um will basically dissolve it as long as you're not come on, dissolve, dissolve, dissolve. Pushing it too much. Um, Another thing to say, and again, which is really, really important in in the context of of jhana and samadhi practice is, okay, here's this constriction, here's this block. I don't always have to focus on it. Um, I can keep my attention, I will have to work to keep my attention where it's pleasant, where it feels pleasant, where there's... um, PT, perhaps, or where it even feels just okay. So this is a, you know, the tendency will be be to get dragged into, either get dragged into where there's a a difficult feeling, constriction or blockage, or to get dragged completely outside and start daydreaming. Um, But if I can keep my attention, let's say in that example, my belly feels good and my heart area doesn't, I keep, keep it in the belly, don't get sucked into, or my knees are aching, don't get sucked into, just stay with where it's pleasant. And focus there and enjoy that now, when I say where uh, where might be a bodily location, it might be that the body has a bit dissolved in it 's just a kind of spatial location it 's the, the kind of somewhere around there in space, but it also might be i don 't know if where is obviously the right word, but it also might be a frequency so this is similar to what I said before one can here's this discomfort, here's this constriction, this blockage, it's a certain energetic, in energetic terms, it's a certain kind of frequency. Can I find another frequency um, that's not so much a spatial location as a kind of mental location, and then uh, get into that, find it, dive underneath, get into that. Again, with more experience of different frequencies, certainly with more jhana experience, that becomes just a more and more common possibility. It's more, much more accessible, that kind of thing. Most insight meditators, most vipassana meditators, are kind of trained, that either deliberately or just by default, that when there's something um, difficult in the body, when there's dukkha, when there's constriction, when something doesn't feel good, when there's a contraction, um, that the attention goes there. And we're encouraged to do that in in the mostly in the way we teach insight meditation and and it can become a kind of just well that's what we do as soon as something's difficult that 's where the mind goes It's not even a choice I make one realizes just oh it's just a habit. I pay attention to what's difficult, where there's constriction, where there's contraction, where there's dukkha. It might be also be the case that insight meditation attracts certain psychological types and inclinations who I it might be, but it's also a kind of training that happens both directly and indirectly. The willingness to do that, the willingness to go where it's difficult, and to feel it, and to open to it, and to work with it, this is invaluable. It's com- it's such a precious thing. Um, willingness is not enough. I need to also have the kind of mindfulness I bring matters. Because I can bring an attention there, I can bring a kind of mindfulness there, and it just uh, makes it worse. And I'm being a good meditator, and I'm having the willingness, which is great, and a good intention, but my mindfulness has just a bit of aversion in it, and it's making it worse. Um, or I can be with it in a way that just doesn't do anything to it. Or I can be with it, I- the attention, the mindfulness has uh, skillful qualities in it. It has Mindfulness is never one thing. There's no such thing as pure mindfulness. There's no such thing as pure mindfulness. Mindfulness always has views, conceptions, some kind of relationship with the object, a little bit of aversion, a lot of aversion, a little bit of greed. Always has some, if we're talking really, really subtle, there's no such thing as pure mindfulness. And what makes or breaks, what what determines what happens, is what's with the mindfulness. So it's great that we're willing to do that as insight meditators, we're all practiced in that, hopefully. Great that we're willing, but it also really matters. Am I? Br- can I have the skill to do to bring what's actually a helpful mindfulness there, a helpful attention? So that's all great, but now we also want. And as I said to you, what we want is range. Was said on the opening tool: range, 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 choice, freedom of choice. So sure, I can go where it's difficult. I'm willing to do that. I'm not afraid to do that. If it's very little bit difficult, if it's difficult in this way or that way, if it's really, really difficult, I'm willing to go there. I'm able to work with it as, as time goes on and I get more practice, I'm able to work with it in all kinds of ways, lots of ways. But also, I'm willing and able not to go there. I put the mind here where it's pleasant. I won't go there. I'm training the mind to stay with the pleasant. So when we open up to jhana practice, this actually becomes quite quite an important skill and quite uh, something that one's working against the grain if one has done a lot of insight practice. So with training we can have much more range and much more freedom of choice about what we do in, in regard to the difficulty. Remember when I first taught this in, in here in uh, uh, 12, 13 years ago in a, a to retreat and there were people that said well but 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 the that's not proper meditation that's not you know proper meditation the best meditation is to be with what is and so if it hurts then i need to be with what is uh, and even if it doesn't hurt here somehow the hurt is more what is than the place that not hurts mm-hmm. but despite that or as well as that again no we have to ask about ontology about reality here is it really what is is it really what is? What, do, what am I believing about what is? Or is it a fabricated perception? The answer is yes. <laughs> and I have to understand that, not just as an, I have to actually get in there and work with things and play with things until I know in my heart, deep down in my mind, in my life, I know this is a fabricated perception and I know how to fabricate it differently. At least at times, I have that capacity. So we want to train to open up that range. And we want to understand there is o- so much about the nature of reality that's involved in all this jhana work. What does that have to do with insight? It has everything to do with insight. Is it really as real as you think it is? What is real? What is reality? These are fundamentally important questions, and we get locked into certain views, and sometimes we get locked into certain views that come out of our very dharma uh, listening and training and and, uh, and and thinking. So, there can be, there will be at times discomfort and pain, as we said at the beginning of the retreat. You really want to not go there too much, and I'll talk more about this tomorrow. In fact, but. Um It's also possible to perceive, deliberately perceive, the the unpleasant as pleasant. Here's this pain in my knee, sitting in meditation, and I can deliberately play with the perception. There's that key phrase, play with perception. I can play with perception and perceive the unpleasant as pleasant. I might perceive... so here's that pain in the knee, I decide to perceive it as PT, with training, that's totally possible. I decide to perceive it as happiness. So the texture of my knee becomes happiness. My knee becomes happiness. I decide to see it with training as um, stillness, as a luminous stillness. My knee becomes, the pain has gone, the knee has gone, and what is there is a luminous, beautiful stillness. Training training through playing with perception, so one can one way of doing that is you just spread the PT and the pt spreads over the over the difficult area um, as, as you, as, you know, there's one, one option another is this more direct way where I'm actually looking at something and because I um, have enough familiarity with PT. And because I'm not locked into a view of the reality of this thing is it's a painful knee. So there's familiarity with PT, and there's the absence of a locked in view about reality. And then one just sees it as PT, and one therefore experiences it as PT or happiness or stillness or whatever. What did the Buddha say? Perception attainments. The jhanas are perception attainments. What's the best way of thinking about this? We said playing with perception. We're playing with perception. This is, um, as I said already, this is way more significant than um, the whole question of is this a jhana or is this not a jhana? Did I achieve the third jhana or the third jhana? So and so defines it. And that seems like so, re- so relevant and so important. This, what I'm just talking about now, this ability. And this, even th- not just the ability, the possibility, the recognition and the experience of the possibility of doing this with, for example, a pain in the knee that's way more significant than whether I have achieved th- correctly the first jhana, the third jhana. It's way more significant. Magic. Was that we use that word magic. So this whole business about the question of reality, about emptiness, which is to do with what is the reality of things, about ways of looking, about fabrication, about perception, again, that's the key word, about playing with perception, this is absolutely fundamental to um, the most... Uh, to it's fundamental to liberating insight. It's fundamental to the whole Dharma, it's fundamental to liberating insight. And it's way more important, as I said, than. Third jhana, fourth, you know, whatever it is. Did I get it? Did I not? So, <coughs> pt arises, and the Buddha says, "Don't snatch at it, and don't snatch at the first jhana." Um, so, what does that mean? I've already said it in the insight ways of looking. Here, it's arising. However, it's arising, and I'm just, I'm just letting it arise. And if i 've got another object, like the nose uh, sensations that i 'm concentrating I'm just letting it arise kind of at the side if i'm I'm aware that it's arising because i'm i've got that whole body background right i'm aware it's arising i'm'm I'm, I'm part of me is enjoying it and opening to it, but i 'm still focused on my one thing, and then when it's ready it means when it's kind of strong enough that it's definitely pleasant let's just say that and uh uh, w- but when it's, when it's sustained enough, then very gently, as described with the insight ways of looking, very gently I can make that my primary object, the PT. And then we go back to what I said yesterday, that I, these modes of attention where I really nuzzle into it, really go penetrate into it, or really, really open myself to it, for example. And I also said yesterday, so another job that we have to do, another work or play mission that we have to do is, is spreading the PT the Buddha said, in the first jhana, it's spread. Um, no, no spot of the body untouched, completely suffused, saturated, etc. So, how do we get it to spread? I mean, sometimes it will be spread already, and that's great, and then you don't have to do anything. But let me run through a list of possibilities. Um, one is, here's the PT, and let's say it's only in my, uh, only in my face, or that sort of region, my head region. Sometimes what happens is because it is quite sort of captivating, the awareness actually shrinks a little bit. Um, so, one thing you can do is, uh, to, to help it spread is just open up the awareness again, open up the whole energy body, and just the opening up of the attention to the whole energy body, the PT will naturally spread, like a gas will naturally spread to fill a space. The balloon, you make the balloon bigger, the balloon of attention, the gas will fill the balloon, the air will fill the balloon. So that is one possibility. Another possibility is you can mix, so to speak, mix the breath with the PT, and kind of imagine and begin to feel like you're breathing PT. Or, or the breath energy is kind of massaging and moving the PT through the body. So you breathe in, When we talked about these currents of breath energy. Maybe you breathe in uh, you know, through the heart center, and these currents of energy go down your body. And in doing that, the breath can kind of massage the PT through the rest of the body if it is just, let's say, around your chest or whatever. Um, But again, this is all very playful, very uh, experimental. Mixing the breath with the PT or just getting the breath energy to sort of help to move the PT um, in different places in the body. You can just, thirdly, you can just imagine that it spread. Again. It can be quite amazing, the power of the imagination. Just imagine that it's spread. It's filling the whole body. And then, lo and behold, you might find that, well, that's my experience now. Okay, so feel it. Enjoy it. Um, you can imagine, this is something I may come back to briefly, you can imagine um, the PT mixed with white golden light. As if the PT is white golden light. It's just another, you can feel it, and you can also see it. And then you imagine that white golden light filling the whole space, the whole energy body space. And as you imagine the white golden light d- doing that, it it brings the PT with it. Uh, you can, this is fifth, I think. Um, fifthly, you can imagine, actually it's very similar to something you said before, just imagine these two places. So here's the PT, let's say in um, uh, around my face, around my head and throat, which is a very common place for it to start. Um, it's there, and but I don't feel anything down in my belly. There's no PT there. So just, just again, have t- have an awareness of this point and have an awareness of this place down in the belly. So an awareness of where there's PT and awareness of the place where there isn't PT, and just connect them with a the tube an, ima- an Im- imaginary tube. Just connect them. See what happens. You're not forcing anything, you're not imagining anything moving, you're just putting putting two places of the of the energy body space in connection with each other, or the body space in connection with each other. It might be, and I think I mentioned this yesterday, this is s- number six, it might be that moving lightly and playfully and kind of relatively slowly between those two modes of attention, the penetrating kind of narrow focus and probing and the more receptive, it might be that that very movement works the PT and and allows it to spread through the body, through the body space. Eventually, what happens is that every time you experience PT, it's just always spread. It's just always completely filling the whole body. So there is so much in jhana practice about just, it is almost like the the citta and the bodily experience, the energy experience, just getting used to something and it becoming normal, it becoming completely normal, so that after a while, every time you have PT, it is just automatic, it is never just in one place, it is just always spread. That that will become, there is always exceptions, but that will eventually become um, uh, pretty common. But last, last, um, this would be now number seven, thank you. Yeah, number seven is, okay, sometimes it won't spread. You've tried all this and it won't spread. Don't worry about it. Just enjoy it where it is and get into it where it is. Yeah, so, okay, it's just around here, around my throat and head or whatever it is. I've tried all this other shenanigans. It doesn't spread. Just, just get into it and enjoy it. Don't bother about it. Enjoy it and that that's actually really really important really important also don't worry about um you know the buddha says no not one spot of of the body it's not like you have to go through and say well how's my little toe on my left side how's my you don't have to get so consumed with the kind of anatomical uh image or picture of of the body it's really more just this whole this whole space if you still do have a, a sense of separate toes and all that it, that doesn't matter either, but you don't. You certainly don't have to. Um, it's more like you just sense the whole space, sense the whole energy body space, and allow or gently encourage the PT to fill that whole space in these different ways. There is a movement in Jhana anyway for the kind of dissolving of the form of the body. Okay, now people are different, and um, for some people it happens. Um, maybe this is, I am not sure percentage wise, but for me certainly it happens in the first genre. Like that is part of the characteristic of the first genre, that the, bodily the sense of the body just becomes a bit like what we said um, in those little games we played. It just becomes a sort of amorphous white light filled with pt There is not such a sense of, I could kind of find my toes and all the rest of it in there, but um people are different though, but anyway, there is a movement towards the dissolving of the bodily form, which means we don't have to worry too much about is the PT in my foot or or whatever like that. It's more just a sense of, yeah, it's really filling this whole space, this whole experience, the experience of the body. Again, back to this perception thing. Really, one way of conceiving what happens in the jhana is, in the first jhana, the bodily experience, the bodily perception becomes PT. My experience of my body is a body of piti, is a space of piti. In the second jhana, the body becomes rupa. they called the first four jhanas are called rupa jhanas, which means body. The body becomes happiness. And if you're still working with the breath, which is uh, in a way an element of the body, the breath becomes happiness, breathing happiness into us into a body of happiness. In the third jhana, it becomes um, this kind of peacefulness in the fourth, this kind of luminous stillness, etc. So the energetic, um, the energetic space, the energy body space, becomes that. The body becomes that. So there's a yes, a gradual. At some point, it's different. Di- there's a gradual dissolving of the detailed sense of the form of the body. The body dissolves. We could say. Um, okay, sometimes what happens for people, and again, it, individual is a lot of different conditions and things um, over time, but sometimes what happens is there's too much, there feels like there's too much PT or, or the PT, but this is too much to bear. It's so intense or so strong or so pleasant. There's one thing that's kind of more important than anything else there is that, okay, usually when that's the case. What needs to happen is more opening. It's the opposite. If I feel this is too much to bear, it's too strong, it's too, I can't handle this, then actually there's, there's some contraction of the being, some aversion, some slight holding of the pushing away, like I'm trying to push back the waters a little bit. Could be very, very subtle. The, thing the primary thing we need to do when it feels, or when you think this is too strong, is Open. Open the space of the energy body. Open to the flow of the PT. Oftentimes PT has a flow to it. Oftentimes it's an upward flow from from up up the body. More opening. Open even more. Put your opening dial on 11. 150% more opening, more surrender, more abandoning. It's the opposite of what you feel like doing when it feels like too much. You have to go to the uh, counterintuitive... Energetic response. So sometimes talking to people in interviews, you know, I, I kind of, it's a bit like PT can be a bit like an analogy can be like water flowing down, a, you know, a mountainside, like making a river down a mountainside. And where it starts in the initial, sometimes it can be like really fast, you know, and then it encounters rocks as it goes down. And where it encounters rocks, you get all this white water, right? Uh, f- uh rapids and is rapids the right word what wh- rapids and kind of froth and stuff but two things here if i then put more rocks in the way because i don't like it because i just want it don't want it to be quite so intense what am i going to get i mean e- unless i actually put a dam there but let's say you just you can't and and you put some what am i going to get i'm getting more white water right i'm going to get more froth i'm getting it more you get yeah i need to do the opposite i, I don't open, surrender. A band really like, okay, d- how much can I really open my body? It's almost like this, just opening up the the chest, opening up, the just completely let it flow through. And oftentimes it, ne- it wants to flow right through, right up out the top of the head, just open, open, open. Um, there's usually at that point a subtle or sometimes not so subtle, there's some degree of aversion and contraction, and that's causing the problem. What it's also doing is slowing down the progress of this river. Because this mountain river, as it goes down the mountain, as it winds its way, it will find, it's naturally going to find its way to calmer waters. As PT evolves, I've already said this in a way indirectly, as PT evolves, it naturally gets calmer. So there are phases of practice when it just feels like this really is a bit much, it's too intense. It's on its way, it's just a phase. What we want is, okay, well, how can I just help that phase do its thing? Aversion, contraction, is not helping it do its thing. It's the opposite. I need to open, open, let it flow. You might have to put up with, yet super intense. Again, someone else would give their right and left arms for this kind of level of pleasure, but um that 's where I have to open, 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 then it can just it will go through its thing and it will calm down sometimes, even the very opening in that moment it actually feels better because the contraction is what's then it starts to get i 'm not even sure this is pleasant anymore it's it 's partly the aversion, coloring the experience so so open, surrender, abandon, really, what does it mean to do that? find ways to do that it will um And then once you look, find the pleasure in it, find the pleasure in it, find the pleasure in it. So two things, open, abandon, surrender, and find the pleasure. And that will usually take care of it. Um, But it it still it should help in that moment, absolutely. And then it should also help the process just unfold more freely and without kind of getting stuck in this certain place for a while. And sometimes a person either... The PT is so strong, that it's like, I'm not sure it's actually pleasant, or it's not quite strong enough. I say, I'm not sure it's pleasant. And again, playing with perception, you can actually just decide to see it as pleasant. Just decide to see it as pleasant. Just play with that, play with the perception. We're back to this idea of malleability again, of playing with perception. In, In samadhi, in jhana, the whole system is so sensitive so sensitive to these um, micro shifts in ways of looking in view in effort levels etc etc now sometimes again pt is very strong um perhaps even over some days um or or uh, sukha happiness is strong um and the person uh, let's say Wants to, but uh, well there's a que- there's a question here. Sh- should I move the body? There's so much energy. Should I move it somehow? Should I dance? I just feel like dancing. There's joy and there's PT and, and and person wants to dance. And the question is, should I do that? Or when there's a lot of sukkah, there can be just laughing and laughing and laughing out loud. Um, or should I not dance and not laugh? so much and actually let something gather. So I don't think this is such a, generally speaking I would probably lean towards a no, let it gather, let it gather. Because again, going back to what I said earlier several times, most of us as human beings actually haven't really allowed energy to gather, haven't really allowed happiness to gather. We don't know what it is to have the energy body filled uh, this way and, and With happiness and allow that to gather and intensify and do its kind of alchemical work. However, um, sometimes it is really helpful for someone, and for a number of reasons, to dance or to move, um, uh, whatever, because sometimes that person, and look at their life and their person and their character, sometimes there's actually a habit there of. Holding the body, and uh, there's not, there's a the body's a little bit rigid, or there's a certain inhi- inhibition in terms of movement. Um, or with regard to laughing, there's a person who actually doesn't laugh, doesn't you know, you, you're never going to find them giggling. You never, you know, they don't kind of laugh, lo- they might, you know, something's funny or whatever, a little bit, but they don't kind of give themselves to laughter a lot. And sometimes, and you know, why is that? Maybe sometimes there's just a slight emotional holding. It's a personality thing. There's a slight rigidity or non fluidity and so sometimes actually for a person it's not the greatest weather, but doesn't mean you can't go out there in the fields and dance in the rain. And be you know, if it needs to move wild, do that. But but or whatever it is, um the danger though is that we squander the energy that's building, we squander the PT and we squander the happiness that's building, and then it can never really mature into jhana. So it can be a tricky question, but you can experiment experiment with both if you feel this is relevant for for a lot of people it won 't be relevant so in in the analogy before you know the capacitor doesn 't gather enough energy it never really uh, allows you to get into jhana um, but we want as I said to learn to allow and to tolerate uh, these these things to uh, I- expand to flow to fill the being and do their work inside. Again, just with the theme of sometimes really strong PT, what can happen, sometimes for some people, um, m- a minority of people, is that the PT is very strong, or the energy gets very strong, and the, and the physical body starts shaking, kind of tremoring, or shaking, or jerking, or, or this kind of thing. Um, so this is, quite an, this is quite an important thing here. Um, Now, some people have the view, oh, that's a catharsis, you're releasing something, etc., etc. Speaking as someone who got trapped in all that for uh, quite some years, um, I feel this is really important. It's important to have the right view here and the right approach. Um, What can happen with those kinds of movements is that they very easily can become habitual. And the body just habitually starts to shake in meditation or jerk or whatever it is. In my case, it would even do it when I listen to music, or it was starting to do it all the time. Some habitual loop had had become set up. Um, What we. Okay, so this is different now than the kind of body movement of, for example, some of you know, when, when the PT comes and the head tilts back because of that upward flow. It's just. Some of you will know that. Actually, even doing the movement brings the p t but um but so i 'm talking about something different i 'm talking about sort of uh, this is a shaking or jerking kind of thing um, the head tilt back thing is not is not anywhere near a problem if you cannot do it, I have a bad habit I, d- I do it so don't do what i say, not what i do um, it, but that's less less of a problem but this this moving thing is actually and shaking is is quite important um we Need to again, maybe you can use use I- your imagination a little bit. First thing is, um, we need to see if you can keep the physical body still during meditation. If this is if this for a lot of people, nothing like this is going to arise. it's not an issue, but I'm saying it because it is for some people. Can I keep the physical body still? And maybe you just set a gentle but firm intention that that's the case at the beginning of the meditation, okay? but generally I am trying to keep the physical body still and what I am allowing instead of the, mo- the energy moving the physical body is I am allowing the energy to move inside the energy body space and even move out. So, again, maybe it is as if metaphorically or an analogy would be like there is, um, again it is a bad analogy, but let us say there is uh, too much water and water pressure in the, in the inner energy pipes and they start bursting the pipes and rattling the whole the whole structure. Um, what we need to do is is open the pipes, make bigger pipes, let it flow more. So again, also to imagine your body opening, opening to this energy flow, opening the, the channels, the currents so it can flow. Um allowing the inner so-called so to speak inner movement of energy rather than the physical body moving. Okay? And usually you will find that that takes care of things. Sometimes, again, it wants to, it wants to go out, so it might want to f- fly out the top of your crown chakra and come, come out like that and come down as a fountain, whatever it is. So use your imagination. It might want to just move inside, it might want to move out. How does it want to move? What feels good? What feels like there is some ease and, and release to this too much? That, that means then the body does not need, the b- physical body does not need to move because the energy is being allowed to move when the energy is being allowed to move properly without encountering blocks or constrictions then the then the physical body does not need to move so much or at all so again it might want to go in any direction it might want to fly out this way or this way or up or whatever just just fine what does it want to do and let it do imagine it doing what it wants to do and it will it will do what it what it wants to do and then the physical body doesn't need to Often, this kind of thing happens um, when there's even just a slight over-efforting. Certainly, certainly is more likely to happen if there's if there's over effort, or certain. Let's say certain energy body types. It's really quite likely to happen if there's too much effort. Other people have different energy body types, and they can do a lot of effort, and it's not going to happen. They will never have anything like that. But with certain with certain types um, it can be as i said, slight over efforting can have massive um, impacts they can have slight over efforting can have subtle impacts in meditation, all kinds of subtle effects, but it can also have quite dramatic effects so sometimes this whole thing with the moving is not catharsis or anything it 's just it 's just the effort is is a little too much nothing 's being purified nothing it's just the effort is too much, and it's putting too much energy pressure on the whole system. It's having an effect. So what does that mean? What does that imply? Again, I, maybe I need to play with the intensity. and just back. What does it mean to just back off on the intensity pedal? What does it mean to just be a little less tight in the way I'm approaching, uh, or, or my energy body is in the meditation, um, to have a slightly more spacious attention, to go into the more receptive mode and less of the probing mode? So all these things will, um, uh, will affect. a part of the effort and and the, and the subtly backing off the effort. And they will have an effect on uh, on all that shaking business. <coughs> Some you good for a bit more? Is that okay? Yeah. Um, sometimes. Uh, 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 someone who's done a lot of insight meditation may have experienced other states of deep equanimity or vastness of awareness or these kinds of things, and then comes to jhana practice and hears about all PT and first jhana and second jhana with all this bubbly happiness or whatever it is, and kind of thinks, well, why should I bother with PT if equanimity is possible? Because I know equanimity. Why should I bo- bother with PT? And they might think, well, equanimity is the point of practice, right? Why would I bother with PT? We're trying to get to equanimity. Um, so why would I bother with PT and with Sukha, with first or second jhana or whatever? Because equanimity is where we're going. Equanimity is not the goal, it's absolutely not the goal, and nor is equin- should equanimity be mistaken for awakening. It's really, really important. Equanimity is not the goal. It's an important part of the mix of the range of what's, uh, what's available to a being, but it's not the goal and, and certainly not equivalent to awakening. Awakening does not equate to equanimity. Awakening is, if we want to sum it up, realizing emptiness, realizing the emptiness of everything. And the implication from that that then we can look at things in in very different ways. Why? Because a thing is empty of existing independently of the way the mind looks at it. Therefore, one realizes that and and it liberates the possibility of a whole flexibility of ways of looking which one, one can also train in and develop that playing. Can play all these different ways, play all these perceptions. That's what awakening is. Awakening is not equanimity. So that therefore again practicing the malleability of the mind, the malleability of mind state, the malleability of perception, playing with perception, when we're doing that we're actually practicing a path that that resembles the goal, that resembles what awakening is. Because an awakened person knows the emptiness of absolutely everything and all they're left with, and they know, all there is is the possibility and the flexibility of different ways of looking. So by practicing that, you're actually practicing a way of conceiving of the path and practicing the path that looks like what what awakening looks like, as opposed to just trying to practice equanimity. And, and that's, I'm trying to be equanimous in relation to everything all the time. That's not what awakening is. And that's not even a, a healthy psychology, I would say. There are also sometimes people say, "Why should I bother with PT? Why should I bother with, with sukkah? Sometimes there's psychological tendencies, patterns, habits. PT and sukkah are quite, um, in a way, in a way, they're agitating. In a way, they're disturbing. They're not. They're not that peaceful. They open up things. They're exciting. They're they, they, they move around and they they do stuff. And sometimes it's not even a particular dharma thought, or one uses a dharma thought, but the intent, the the reason one's using it is just because one's psychology doesn't want to be disturbed, I just like I want everything to be calm, want the emotions to be controlled and within a certain limit, I want to either present or f- feel only a certain range, and that can become, uh, or, or or it can be a habit, or a, a habit of a pattern. That's all that my being knows it's all my being allows is that range, and therefore all this kind of welling up of stuff mm, don't like it. what's actually going on there? So we can come back to something I've already said, but it 's important. Um, it's really, really important. we can conceive pt. as energy so that when the energy body is unblocked either through just the openness of heart, the openness of being or when the energy body is unblocked unblocked because of the insight way of looking is releasing clinging and clinging causes contraction so with the release of clinging there is a release of contraction so the energy body is naturally unblocked. So when the energy body is unblocked then naturally a human energy body system because when it is unblocked will naturally experience a pleasant flow of energy, will naturally experience PT. So we can experience, we can conceive of PT as energy. So we can also conceive of PT as energy in the sense of we're not, if in a concentration mode, I'm not dissipating energy um, through distraction. The mind going here and there, thinking about this or that, getting caught up in this and that, this sound, that sound, whatever it is. And so therefore the energy naturally gathers, like, like the electronic capacitor. So we can conceive of the PT as energy, but as I, I've said several times now, a better, more fruitful, truer, much more helpful way and much more um, a, a way that's much more integrated with the kind of the rest of the Dharma or a way of understanding the rest of the is, t- is to conceive of PT as a way of perceiving the body. It's not energy really. Uh, it's not to do with unblocking your chakras or energy channels. It's not to do with gathering energy. Piti is a way of perceiving the body. It's a perception of body. It's a perceptual skill. It's a perception attainment, as the Buddha might say. It's a magician's art. Piti is a way of perceiving the body. So again, you may or may not quite realize just how significant this is, but I want to at least plant the seeds. So, last thing, um, last couple of things. PT is central to the first jhana, it's central to the first jhana, it's the most important factor in the first jhana. The first jhana has five factors, I'm going to talk about it tomorrow. PT is central, the first jhana has five factors, Vitakavichara, which i 'm going to talk about when I read through the Buddha's list, I translated it as thinking we'll come back to that it 's a slightly um uh, what 's the word controversial the translation of that, but anyway, it has five factors Vitakavichara, or some of you 've probably heard sustain initial and sustained application doesn 't matter what you say Vitakavichara ekagata which i 'll explain all this tomorrow, a kind of uh, one-pointedness, let's say, also a misleading translation, it doesn't matter. And the two other factors, piti and sukha. Piti we've talked about and sukha means happiness. Those are the five factors of the first jhana. So usually these are conceived, either kind of consciously or unconsciously, in a kind of, with a causal direction through them. In other words, you work at your vitakka and vichara, you work at your initial and sustained application to the meditation object, over time you kind of get one pointed or absorbed or whatever akagata like and pt and sukha arise as a result so there's a movement from concentration the concentration factors to the arising of pt and sukha that's great sometimes we can work backwards here are these five factors what's available right now and sometimes people say oh, I just every time i think of this person, or every time I think of this, happiness arises. It's one of the factors of the first jhana. It's not even the primary factor. PT is the primary factor. But every time I think of this person, happiness arises. If you're skillful, if you don't snatch on it, that happiness, I just linger with the happiness, and lo and behold, PT is right there with it, and then I don't snatch at that, and the PT builds. I'm actually, there's five factors. What's available? I can go in starting on anyone, really, in a way. I'm working backwards. This principle of working backwards with where am I trying to get to, rather than deciding in advance what what needs to be emphasised and therefore what's relevant. So, which factor, and therefore which do I emphasise right now as a way into the if we're talking about the first jhana? And so, both I can conceive forwardly in terms of causal connections there, or I can s- conceive backwards. I've got five five factors. Let's see which of those I can kind of. Um, Access, ignite a little bit, stimulate, and from that, the rest of the, the the five, the rest of the five factors, the other four factors, ignite. In a way, working with the whole energy, starting to work, you know, and, and if we go back to the f- the two broad methods, concentration or working with the energy body. In a way, working with the whole body and the energy body from the beginning is an example of working backwards a little bit to a certain extent because all four of the first four jhanas, the f- the what is called the rupa jhanas, rupa means body or form, all four of them involve, as we said with the Buddha's examples, leaving no spot of the body untu- untouched with by happiness or delight or pleasure, um, suffusing, saturating, drenching, steeping the whole body. All four of the first four jhanas involve the whole-body energy-body awareness. And they each just have a different flavor, a, p- a different predominant flavor to, those to that energy-body awareness. So when we start with the energy-body awareness, we're a little bit also taking this principle, let's start backwards. Rather than start at a point, let's start with the whole thing, because it's going to go to the whole thing anyway. You understand? So back to these things. There's two last last point. Let me done. There's two. Um, I said it right at the beginning of the talk. There's broadly speaking two two approaches. Either you choose a small, you choose a point, a thing, and you just concentrate it, concentrate it with the uh, uh, intensity and um, delicacy and the directionality and, and all the rest of it. Um, and out of that, so you're basically practicing concentration on something, steady focus on something. What um, will w- 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 also let me just interject something. So that's one method, but uh, or there's this other me- or there's this other method of starting with the whole energy body and gathering the nu- the niceness there. Um, but even. At any time, even even in let's say you're, you're you're new to the second jhana, happiness is actually quite a subtle object. The happiness is so it can be very very bubbly and intense. But as things calm down, it's actually quite a subtle, refined object. And even if your main mode of working has been energy body and you haven't really thought about it as concentration, you're still at some times going to need to practice concentration. Somebody say, okay, I'm going to I need to learn how to stay steady and focused on this subtle object of happiness. So, at times even, there's going to be times when your intention, your emphasis is on concentration. And and there may be other times where your intention is more on spreading and enjoying uh, and other things, or perception playing, like we said. So, at any time in the practice of jhanas, your emphasis can shift, and that's completely appropriate. And sometimes it's not really going when well. you say, Okay, I'm just practicing concentration now. But it's not all you're doing. You're seeing that as one possible emphasis in, in a whole kind of mandala of possible emphasis. Does that make sense? Is that what I just said? Make sense? Is that yes? Does it make sense? Yeah. Okay, sorry. Good, okay. So, going back to what I said at the beginning, these two broad approaches, um, concentration versus kind of coaxing well-being through playing with perception and all that stuff. Yeah, they're kind of separate, but they're not really. And, and we're going to move between them and there's kind of gray areas stuff, but we should move between them and think about that. At any point in jhana practice, any point, it, it's going to be relevant. So they're not mutually exclusive. Okay. I think we should probably stop there, rather than do some questions today. Um, yeah, let's let's stop there. Okay. Let's have let's have a bit of quiet together. <coughs> Thank you everyone. So time for tea. Uh enjoy tea. And um there are some interviews tonight. So do if you haven't sort of checked the board today, do do please check because there are some tonight. And uh, is there anything else to No. Okay. So enjoy tea.